And so today we're looking at the Lord's Prayer, and I don't, I don't know if you guys um, grew up near a train. You guys grew up near a train tracks? Anybody in this room? Awesome, yeah. So in my, my middle school years, uh, we grew up, uh, I grew up in Lebanon Junction, kind of landed there after I was in the fifth grade. Uh, we moved around a lot in uh, my early stages of life, uh, but we rented a home about three houses from the train tracks there in Lebanon Junction. So if you've ever been to LJ, like the train tracks run through the middle of the town. Um, and so I remember when friends would come over to my house um, and spend the night and stuff like that, they would always say, how in the world do you sleep? And I would go, what do you mean, how in the world do I sleep? So I woke up like 100 times last night because a train going through there, and it's like extremely loud. And it's interesting, if you grew up near a train, eventually what happens? Yeah, you get used to it, and you never hear the train anymore. It's crazy how that happens to you. Um, that's my concern with this passage. I think it's been my fight all this week, honestly. Uh, the, the familiarity of this passage breeds like what I would say complacency. And what I mean by that is that, and this may not be true for all of us in here, all right? Some of you, this might be brand new. This passage, hallelujah, I'm glad you're here. You know what I'm saying? Man, we welcome you here. I want new people here that are fresh and seeing the Word of God for the first time. Uh, you know, it's something beautiful and sweet about that. Uh, but for many of us in here, um, we have... We have you know, gotten used to this prayer so much so that we no longer hear it. Uh, and and my, my desire this morning is not that I come with some kind of newness and novelty and some kind of fresh insight, uh, but that we would look at the simplicity of this prayer and that God would give us ears to hear it for like the first time. And that's kind of my prayer for us this morning. And, and as we stand together and read this prayer, uh, I pray that you would be praying for that also, all right? So stand together in honor of reading God's word. So Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9 and reading down to verse 15. So hear the word of the Lord. So therefore you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. And so, Father, our desire is that you would help us to hear this prayer um, like it's the first time we've ever heard it. And God, help us uh, to see the gift of its simplicity uh, and at the same time uh, the kind of depth that's here that would take a a lifetime for us to really mine all the jewels that are in this passage. So God help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May be seated. So I played basketball in high school. Um, played at the Big Bolt Central Cougars. Amen. Go BC. Um, and I remember in my sophomore year, I, I developed kind of a bad habit in uh, the release of the ball from my fingertips, and I don't know exactly how I did this, but you just kind of develop bad habits, 
And so I noticed that when I would uh, shoot, I was pushing the ball to the kind of the back three uh, tips of my finger, creating kind of a little bit of a side spin on my ball. Uh, and when you create a side spin on your ball, you don't get a favorable bounce, if you're wondering why wow, that's a big deal. Like, it's, you're going to miss more shots, right? It's like, okay. That, I was concerned about that when I was in high school. Obviously, as a 49-year-old, I don't really give a rip. But there's a point to this illustration. And so, uh, so during my season, I mean, I really had to almost le- relearn how to shoot the ball. Kind of crazy. You know, I've been playing basketball for several years up to that point. I almost had to kind of come back to sort of the fundamentals of how, all right, how do I shoot a basketball? And, and the thing that I had to really focus on is on my release, is that when I released the ball, I needed to make sure the ball fell off these top two fingers. Uh, that's the last two fingers that hits the ball, so it kind of creates a bas- backspin, which helps you hit more baskets. So at the beginning, when you're relearning, you don't. Like, you're, like your shooting is bad, it's, it, and it makes you want to go back to the old habits. Like, well, at least I hit 30% of my shots, right? It's like... Doing it that way, it's like, well, eventually, if you kind of stick to it, you'll, you'll, you'll shoot a higher percentage. And so I, I did stick to it. I'm not sure if I shot a higher percentage, but at least I shot in the way you're supposed to shoot. So I share this illustration with you uh, because I, 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 I think um, part of this prayer, this Lord's Prayer, is a gift to us. It's a real gift to us. And part of that gift is it's a way of... Um, kind of bringing us back, and I hate to even use this word, but it's the only word I can come up with this week, is kind of bringing us back to the fundamentals. Because what happens, so if you are uh, a new Christian or someone who's exploring Christianity, we naturally pray. Like it's, like it's not unnatural to pray. It's kind of instinctive within all of humanity, which I would say means that we're all created in the image of God, so therefore we're all created to have communion with the Father. So that's why we instinctively pray. Like it's, it's in us. And so if, if you're new to Christianity or beginning, Christ, you know, thinking about this stuff, like this, this prayer is a gift because it kind of tells you what to pray for. Like what am I to do when I, when I pray? Like what am I thinking on or asking for? Or what's kind of the sort of the guide? What are the fundamentals, so to speak, to this idea of praying. Well, the other part of this, too, is on the other end of the spectrum, if you've been praying for a while, maybe you've been Christian for years, there are seasons in your life where you sit back and you ask this question, what what am I supposed to be praying about, right? It seems like I'm praying the same thing every single day. Like, I'm tired of listening to myself. I'm sure God is too, right? In which he's not. But, but you know what I'm saying? And so there's times in, in our own seasons, uh, if you've been a Christian a few days or for years, where you need to kind of come back and say, okay, like, what am I to be praying about? What's to occupy my mind and my heart when I pray? And I think that's the gift that, Jesus gives to us with the Lord's Prayer. It's kind of sort of like these handrails that gives us guidance, that gives us kind of direction, gives us kind of a foundation on what it is that I'm to be praying. I mean, it's, it's simplicity is its genius. Are you with me? I mean, Jesus is so amazing, right? 
He knows exactly what we need. And it's simplicity. It can be recited in 30 seconds. Its simplicity is its genius. Because it's a way for us to kind of think on these two big phrases, these two big ideas, and give us some guidance in praying. So remember the context here. You know, remember that, you know, Ty did a good job of kind of unpacking the whole here and we're coming back in and dealing with the middle. But remember, Jesus has given us kind of like um, uh, how to kind of practice your righteousness. Kind of gave us three examples, remember? So we got, we got, you know, what do you say, giving first, almsgiving. You got fasting at the end. And here in the middle, it's kind of talking about prayer. And each of these examples say, hey, this is, this is how you've seen it done or this is what you see going on. Don't do that. That's no longer how a disciple lives. That's no longer uh, how this is kind of played out with someone's heart's been changed from the inside out. So yeah, you're supposed to give, supposed to be generous, but here's how you do that. Yeah, you're supposed to fast and, and, and spend some time where you kind of focus on your relationship with God, but, but here's kind of the wrong way of doing that, and here's the better way of living into that. And he does it with prayer, the same thing here. And if you skip up a few verses, we realize that, first of all, it kind of gives us this warning that, you know, don't, don't pray in such a way that people are impressed with your praying, which all of us do. Like, can we just not raise our hand and say, we do it all the time, right? We're a bag of mixed motives whenever we practice our righteousness before others. We're never going to get this right, nor do we need to feel the pressure of getting it right because Jesus got it right on our behalf. But at the same time, we're supposed to be aware of what's going on in our heart when we pray. Every time I get up here and do the prayer after the reading of the word, you better believe I'm thinking about what you're thinking. And so do you. So Jesus is kind of giving us a warning, like, look, don't, that's not the point of prayer for people to be impressed with the words you use. That's just so lame, Right? That's why it's so beautiful to hear a brand new Christian and even a child pray. It's just so stinking refreshing, right? I love it. Second warning that he kind of gives us there is don't, don't babble. Don't heap up words as if the amount of words are finally going to get God to hear what you have to say. Or I think what a, what a temptation for us would be in this day and age is don't think you have to pray the right formula in order to get God's ears right? That if I say it like this, you know, whatever, whatever formula you want to put in there, we're all kind of uh, have problems with this, right? If I can just say it right, then finally God's going to answer my prayer. So those are the couple warm, and, and then he says instead, this is how you're to pray. Pray like this. And maybe we're not praying verbatim exactly what he says here every time we pray, but at the same time, I think Jesus wants us to pray like this. This is how he wants us to pray. I mean, if you go to Luke, and the disciples come to Jesus and say, look, we're watching you pray in such a way that we've never seen someone pray before. Can you teach us? And so this is what he, he taught them. So this is how you pray. This is, this is kind of what needs to be on your radar. This is how I want you to approach the Father. Pray like this. This is kind of like... Like we said at the beginning, here's the fundamentals. Here's what you kind of keep coming back to. These are always present with us when we pray. And so let's just do this this morning. It's all I want to do. I want to kind of unpack what is here, all right? 
There's two big kind of phrases that we're going after here, uh, two big movements that, that the prayer has, and then I just want to land with a, uh, with a few applications. And my desire, obviously, as it always is when I talk about prayer, is I want you to pray. So we started the year off kind of just saying, hey, pray what you got. We gave you a, a card that we're encouraging our body to pray every Wednesday for three specific things within the life of our church. This is what the church has got. And so in some ways, this is what Jesus has got. Amen? Like, this is his got. And so he wants his followers to pray this also. All right? So let's dive in. So two big movements that are happening within this prayer. It's a poem. So it's, it's in part, I think Jesus wants us to memorize this. So, so one movement is kind of a reorientation toward God and his needs and his desires. So we're praying what God wants is kind of what we're doing here. That's the first little section here. And then the second section is sort of a um, kind of a, a reorientation toward our needs. So, so what, when I pray for my needs, what am I praying for? Give me some, some meat to that. And so that's the two kind of movements within this prayer. So let's look at the first one here. So this is, we're praying God's desires. This is three requests of God for God. There are three of them in here. And I'll walk through these really quick. The first one, all these are found obviously in verses 9 and 10. And the first one beginning at the end of verse 9. It says, your name be honored as holy. So hallowed would be kind of the old language that we've learned it in possibly. Hallowed be your name. And so the first request that, that moves our hearts Godward here to, to, to pray what God desires is that God's name would be revered, that God's name would be set apart, that the very nature and the essence of who God is would be, would be revered amongst us, would be hallowed amongst us, that God's reputation would be kind of like um, renewed here or restored here on earth. So that's the, the first thing, your name would be hallowed. The second clause in here as we're moving our hearts Godward in our prayer is that God's kingdom would come. We see that in the first half of verse 10. Your name be hallowed and your kingdom come. And so if you've been with us for a little bit as we've been working through the book of Matthew, remember that Jesus said what when he arrived on the scenes? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is what? Say it out loud. Is near. And so like, all right, that, that sounds kind of confusing. Is the kingdom here or is it not here? So if it's here, then why in the world am I praying for it, right? Hasn't it already come? So why do you want me to pray that it would come, Jesus? Well, the reality is this, as we say it all the time, we live in what? This little in-between time. So we use the language of already, not yet, right? You follow me? So in part, the kingdom has come with, the kingdom, with, with Jesus, but we're not feeling or experiencing the full reality of that reign. There's still a part of that to kind of come to full fruition. And so when we're praying for the kingdom to come, we are praying and asking that the reign of God would have its full effect on this earth and its full effect in my own life. That's what we're after. It's not just outside of me. It's also inside of me. So yes, the kingdom of heaven has come with the coming of Jesus, but we're also wanting and praying and longing for that full effect, for that for that to be the reality that all of us experience outside of us and inside of us. So when we reorient ourselves Godward, that's the first kind of movement of this prayer. What's the first clause? We're going to pray what? That his name be holy. Your name be revered. Second one is your kingdom 
would come. And then the third one was, is what? There in verse 10. You're what? Your will be done. We want what God wants. We want what his desires are to happen in this world. So his name, his kingdom, his will. This is the Godward kind of movement of this prayer. And it's so wonderful. And so it just shows the genius of Jesus here. And the kind of like last phrase there is a way for us to sum up all that he's asking us to pray for. Because all three of these are interconnected. And what does he say there? It's kind of like this um, sort of climactic phrase. So we're wanting his name, his kingdom, his will be done on earth as it is what? In heaven. So all of these things, the name of God being honored, the kingdom of God being experienced in its fullest reality, the will of God always being done, all of these are happening in heaven right now. And what Jesus is saying is that you are praying that what is going on in heaven would be more and more what happens on the earth. That's in essence what we're praying here. These all three are interconnected and can be just summed up in this phrase. That God, what has taken place in heaven, we want it here. God, what has taken place in heaven, I want it in my own life. God, what has taken place in heaven, I want it in my neighborhood. God, what has taken place in heaven, I want it in my family. What has taken place in heaven, I wanted it happen in my, in my workplace. Are you following me? So we're reorienting ourselves, this first movement of this prayer, toward the heart of God. What God desires, what God wants. And I do. I, I love this. I mean, I, once again, I just think it shows us how well Jesus knows each and every one of us. Because left to ourselves... What are we going to pray for? We're very reactive in our prayers, right? If I'm left to myself, here's my prayers. Help me! <laughs> right? Amen? Like, I don't know about you, but the adult life and the Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint. Amen? And a marathon, I need some sustainability. <laughs> There's going to be moments when it's really hard. And I'm crying out, help me God, help me God, help me God. And there's moments when he comes in and intervenes, and then what are we doing? We're saying, thank you, thank you for how you've intervened here. And so all of those, I'm not saying they're wrong. Please hear me, I'm not. God's pleased with those kind of prayers. But they are a reactive praying. And what Jesus does for us, this gift that he gives to us, is it almost forces us to pray things that we are not naturally or instinctively going to pray about. That his name be hallowed. That his reputation will be restored on this earth. That his kingdom will be experienced in its fullest reality here. And that his will be done. I don't go there first. I don't start there. And my guess is that you probably don't either. And, and the gift of this prayer is that by us praying this way, right? By us first reorienting ourselves Godward and doing that daily, 
it does something to us. It does something here. It shapes, it, it forms, it, it helps our heart get in line with the very heart of God. Are you following me? So daily, I start here. What do I pray about? If you feel like you're stuck, you don't know where to start, here it is. I'm going to reorient my heart toward the heart of God. And what's God, what's on his heart, what's his desires, what's his wants, his name to be hallowed, his kingdom to come, and his will to be done. That's the first movement. Second movement is the one that we, and I'm not saying this is bad because I do this too. This is the one that kind of comes natural. It's like we're here. We're camping out here. But it, it's where we pray our own needs. But, I, but, but the thing I love about this is that when the, when the first part becomes kind of like a daily practice of reorienting our heart Godward, it has a way of shaping and forming our own needs and what we're asking for. All right? And so there are three here. So they're give us, provide us, and forgive. I'm not sorry. Give us, forgive us, and deliver us. That's the three. So, or you can say if, if give and forgive makes you have a tongue, whatever. You can say provide for us, forgive us, and deliver us. That's the three. Look at this. The first one is there in verse 11. So give us today our daily, and if you've got your own Bible or in your bulletin or whatever you got, underline daily, circle daily. Give us today our daily bread. What is Jesus after here? I mean, think about this. A few verses before this, he says, God knows what you need. So don't babble on or Keep using a bunch of phrases in order to think you've got to get God's ear for him to end. No, he knows exactly what you need, right? And so if he knows what I need, then why, Jesus, am I asking you to give me my daily, daily bread? Or, here you go, here's another one. God provides for you when you don't even ask for it. God provides for those who are not even followers of Jesus Christ, who never utter this prayer, and God provides for you, who are followers of Jesus Christ, who never utter this prayer. Amen? Can I get one amen, right? Like, you got here safely. How many of you in this room actually prayed that God would get you here safely? Don't have to raise your hand. But just think about that. But you got here. Did you get up this morning and wonder where you're going to get your food? Did you really get up this morning and say, God, man, I I pray that the milk is not spoiled, right? I know I'm being kind of silly here, but I'm trying to make a point. And that point is this, is that he is asking us to pray for daily needs that he actually provides when we don't even ask. So why is Jesus telling us to do this? It's because he's wanting each of us as a follower of Jesus Christ to cultivate a mindset of a day laborer or another way of saying this, look, cultivate a mindset of a beggar to where you begin to see 
that even your basic needs, like food, like clothing, like your health that you're experiencing right now, a home you have, a job that you sort of enjoy a little bit, right? Maybe you enjoy yours a lot, maybe you enjoy yours a little bit, maybe you don't enjoy yours at all, but, but somewhere in that gamut, right? Those are all basic needs that the story that's in us and being reinforced in our culture is that I have worked for this. I've put in hard work. I've made this happen. I have earned this. And yes, in part, there's some truth to that, but ultimately, it's a gift. All of it is. And what Jesus is asking us to do by simply praying this little prayer daily is that we would cultivate this reality that even my basic needs are a gift from him. All of it's grace. And whenever I'm cultivating that on a daily basis, it begins to help me see my stuff in a very different light. That he's the one that provides my basic needs and another thing that's happening here too and I don't I don't know if I can kind of completely close all this but that's okay we're going for it I I think Jesus is also inviting us by us praying that he would give us our daily bread that then we're experiencing the way that our father provides for his children there's a way that we are are being invited into experiencing the very care of our Father. Are you following me? So then therefore, when I'm not asking for this daily bread or recognizing daily that all that I have is a gift from Him, then I'm actually um, um, shortchanging myself of experiencing the Father's care for me. So then we have seasons where we're going, I don't even think God is real. I'm really doubting the very presence of God in my own life. I'm not even sure if this whole thing is really real. And I'm not trying to like heap guilt on you or whatever that's not helpful. But I am trying to say, look, let me just ask you, like, do you pray? Do you ask God for these kind of daily provisions? Because when you're asking for them and you're seeing how God provides, then you're entering into that experience. Are you, are you following me? How's the Sermon on the Mount begin with the Beatitudes? And what's the first Beatitude? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. Is that the first one or is that the second one? It doesn't matter. It's one of those. It's in there, right? <laughs> and the translation of that would be like, blessed are those who what? Feel their, their need of God. So how do I feel my need of God on a daily basis? Well, it's right here, verse 11. That's the practice. So give us today our daily bread. The second kind of petition that we're crying out for God to help in is in verse 12, it says, forgive us. Look what he says here. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Debt, obviously, here is a metaphor for offenses that 
need to be forgiven. And it's interesting, and hopefully you caught this, it's the only clause within the prayer that Jesus circles back around and adds something else to it. You notice that? So you skip down to verse 14, and Jesus kind of singles out this portion of the prayer and kind of adds a little more comment. Look what he says here. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you do not forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. So why in the world does Jesus come back to this and almost like, hey, I want to emphasize something here. Why does he pull this little section out of the prayer and kind of expound on it a little bit more? Well, I'll tell you why. Because it's the heart of Christianity. It's the heart of what the gospel is about. It's the heart of what the kingdom of God and its movement is all about. It is the number one sign, as Jesus would help us see, that you get the grace of God. That the grace of God and the forgiveness of God has gotten deep within your own DNA. How do we see that? You're extending forgiveness to other people. If I'm receiving the forgiveness of God and that is getting in me, then the reactive response in me is to extend forgiveness to other people. So much so that in verses 14 and 15, Jesus kind of like punches us in the gut, basically saying only the forgiving will be forgiven. So am I earning God's forgiveness? No, you're showing that you get it. Only the forgiving will be forgiven. It does not say that it won't be a struggle. It does not say it won't take time. It does not say that this will not be hard. He's saying that if you refuse to extend forgiveness of a wrong that's been done against you, you are showing evidence that you have not received the forgiveness of God, that you don't get grace. So please hear me. I mean, we'll get to this a little bit later. Matthew circles back around to this in Matthew chapter 18, so I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here. But I want to say a few things. First of all, I get it. Forgiveness is very complex. It's not really easy. It's not as easy as what it sounds like here. It's very complex and difficult. And Jesus, in this passage of Scripture, as we'll see in Matthew chapter 18, is not telling you to sweep sin under the rug. He's not telling you to downplay it. He's not telling you to dismiss it. He's not saying, oh, it's not that big of a deal. No, no, we'll see this in Matthew 18. He's saying, you name the fence. Like, it's, it needs to be named. It needs to be declared. This is how this person or this individual sinned against me. You don't downplay the sin, all right? Nor does forgiveness always mean reconciliation. You may never have a relationship with this individual that wronged you. You may never have one again and sometimes depending on the case that's the best thing for you depending on how deep and difficult the wound and sin that was done against you and so just because you're extending forgiveness doesn't mean the relationship's going to be reconciled and maybe that brings up a lot of questions that hopefully in a few weeks we get to Matthew chapter 18 uh will answer. But here is what Jesus is saying in these little verses. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have sinned or, you know, sinned against us. He is saying this, that I am going to release the right to get back. I'm going to release the right to pay back, to avenge. That I'm going to refuse to see to it that sins against me are avenged by me. 
That's what Jesus is talking about in forgiveness. Did you hear that? I'm going to refuse to see to it that sins against me are avenged by me. Instead, I'm going to extend forgiveness. I love how Anne Lamott puts this. This is what she says. Forgiveness means, I think there's a, yeah. Forgiveness means uh, it finally becomes unimportant that you hit back. All right, that's, just, that's great. Great little language. Keeps it kind of real. You're done. It doesn't necessarily mean that you won't that you, won't, you want to have lunch with the person, but it does this. If you keep hitting back, you stay trapped in the nightmare. This is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. It's at the heart of what God is trying to do in and through us in our relationships. Is it hard? You better believe it. That's why Jesus said you pray this daily. So the first one, Lord, give us, provide for us our daily needs. Lord, forgive as we go about forgiving others. And then the last one here in verse 13, this is all kind of reordering our hearts to our own needs. That is to deliver us. Look what he says here in verse 13. And do not bring us into temptation, but what? Yeah, deliver us from the evil one. This is a little troubling, isn't it? Hopefully you see that. If you're not, you're kind of reading the Bible with some kind of lens that's not honest, right? (laughs) Like this is kind of troubling. Like what in the world's going on here? Why should I need to ask God not to lean me into temptation? (laughs) Is he leading me into temptation? Doesn't James say that God doesn't tempt us? So what in the world? Jesus, I'm really confused, (laughs) right? Well, we got to remember, guys, um, that this word temptation here carries a, um, a lot of meaning within the original language. And it's always hard to take one word out of the Greek language and translate it completely in the English language. All right? It's, it's always difficult. So we got to remember that, that this can also be translated testing. And so we know that God tests us as followers of Jesus Christ. And he tests us for a purpose of to refine, to make new, to to, 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 you know, build character and strengthen us. He tests us. We see that over and over in the Bible. He did it with his own son, Jesus. Who was it that led him out into the wilderness to be what? Tempted by the devil, but it's a testing by God. It was the Holy Spirit that led him in that. And so God never tempts us to do evil. Never. But God does test us in order to refine, to build character, to strengthen us. But the devil comes and tempts us in order to doubt the goodness and the care and the kindness of God. The devil tempts us to bring about his evil purposes in our lives. God tests us in order for us to grow, have character, to bring resilience and strength. And what Jesus is inviting us to pray is this, is that when those testings come, they are hard. They're not enjoyable. They are really difficult. And us being aware of our own weaknesses, Jesus is inviting us to pray, God, spare me from this testing. That's not weak Christianity. 
Jesus is saying, pray it. Keep me from that. You know how weak and frail I am? God, I, I don't know if I can do another one. Like, God, just keep the testings away from my life right now, right? That's, there's nothing wrong with praying that prayer. It's similar to what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, didn't he? Like, I know what's coming, God. I know the cup that's coming. Man, if it's your will, I don't want it. That's, in essence, what Jesus prayed. And he's inviting us as followers of Jesus Christ to do the same. But if and when it does come, God, deliver me from the purposes that the evil one wants to do. That's what Jesus is asking us to pray. If it's your will, I, I'd rather not have it, right? It's okay to pray that. But God, if you choose to bring a testing in my life, keep me and deliver me from the evil one's purposes to destroy and to doubt your goodness and your kindness and care of me. So that's the prayer in which we are asking God for our needs that you would provide for us daily, Lord, that we would see our dependence upon you. That God give me the empowerment and strength to forgive those that are going to sin against me, wound me, and hurt me, God. Help me to release my desire to get vengeance. And God, deliver me from the evil one. Sustain me through uh, your testing and help me to say no to the temptations that the devil will bring. That's the prayer. It's 30 seconds. There's a lot of simplicity to it. But there's extreme depth also that'll take a lifetime for us to really mine. So here's what I want us to do. Just a couple things and then uh, we're done as sort of application here. One is this. Um, memorize it. If you've never memorized this prayer, then I want to encourage you to memorize it. Maybe the, uh, the CSB isn't the easiest one to memorize. Honestly, sometimes, you know, there's ways that you kind of lose the rhythm. Uh, maybe you memorize it in the King James Version. Maybe you memorize it in the New International Version. But I encourage you to memorize it because memorizing it will help you in spontaneous times of prayer. It will also help you make it your own. The goal isn't just to kind of like recite the words, right, because that's babbling. The goal is to make these words our own. And so memorizing them, meditating on them, gets them in your own little interior world so that you can make it your own. So memorize this prayer. And pray it. I know that's like, that's really insightful. But that's what God wants us to do with this. Pray the prayer. So memorize it. Pray it, and then the last thing I want to encourage us with is always start with where the Lord's Prayer starts. And maybe, depending on where you're at right now, you may need to stay there for a while. I'll say it again. Always start where the Lord's Prayer starts, and maybe, depending on where you are, you may need to stay there for a while. Where does the Lord's Prayer start? Our Father who art in heaven. Our Father who is in heaven. 
If you're in Christ, if you've put your faith and trust in him, then he's your dad. He's your father. And you can just sit with that for a few weeks and think about all the implications of what that means. And one of those implications is this, that I, there are several, but here's, if we want to be moved to pray, I've said this before, we don't need to think about our lack of praying. That doesn't help us pray. If all I'm thinking about is like, I'm a horrible prayer, I don't pray enough, I don't even do the bookend thing, I barely do a morning prayer. Like if it's all we're thinking about is how often we fail in praying, it's not going to move us to pray. Sometimes reading books on people who pray really well doesn't help us either. It just mounts up more guilt. Like, I can never match up to that dude. He's killing it or she's killing it. So I don't know if that's helpful. I think what's helpful is to meditate on the reality that if I'm in Christ, God is my Father. And that means He's not reluctant. He doesn't have to be manipulated. Like, He wants to talk with you. He desires to have communion with you. So I don't have to talk Him into something, right? He's my dad. And he loves to hear the needs of his children. And he loves to provide for those needs. I mean, I don't mean to kind of like single out people here in this room or kind of move them, not move them, but just, and I, I know not everyone's a dad here. I get that, all right? And I, but all of us have a dad here. And I also understand that some dads just, weren't the best in your life and probably have you a messed up understanding of a real dad and some of you had great dads but here's here's the thing that I know as a dad and try to make some connections here like I enjoy giving things to my children I do like I'm just reminded of that this week and uh, we were at dinner and um Conlon my 12 year old is one of those meals where we're just kind of throwing things together because we had to get places and so we had some orange chicken in the freezer, and we had chicken nuggets in the freezer. And we didn't have enough for both, for the whole family. You know what I'm saying? So you just divide it and say, I think these two kids will like this, and then we'll eat the chicken nuggets, Kathy and I. And so orange chicken was for Davin and Conlon, chicken nuggets for me and Kathy. And so uh, that's, that's, that was one of our meals this week. You know how it is, right? Uh, and we, uh, as we sat down to eat, Conlon, I could tell he kind of wanted, I forgot to ask It's okay if I said this, Conlon. Love you, buddy. So hopefully you'll forgive me for... Uh, I, I knew he probably wanted the chicken nuggets, not the orange chicken, but he went and ate the orange chicken. And during the dialogue at dinner time, that came out. And I just told him, I said, look, buddy, like, just tell me. I mean, I appreciate your kindness because you knew that I didn't really want orange chicken. Like, I kind of wanted the chicken nuggets. And I appreciate your kindness and willingness to say, look, Dad, you get that. I'll kind of suffer, quote, unquote. But he doesn't get as a dad how much joy it is. If I'm going to be the one that's going to eat crappy orange chicken so that my kid can get the chicken nuggets and it makes him happy, I'm great with that, right? Why? Because I'm his dad. How much more our Heavenly Father? And guys, I get it. I mean, I, I can make that connection real easily horizontally, but guys, I'm Full confession. 
It's hard to make that vertically. It is. And I think there's a lifetime work there. My encouragement is for you to pray. I want you to pray this prayer. And I think what empowers us to do that is spending more time thinking about how this prayer begins. Our Father. Our Father. Let's pray together. So God, help us not to just hear this. But God, help us to pray it. In Jesus' name, amen.